Welcome to Powered by How, a podcast series brought to you by Reuters Plus in partnership with Aramco, a leading global energy producer. Today's episode, Accelerating the Energy Transition Through Innovation, examines the role of innovation in driving profound change. The energy transition will demand a major rethink across all sectors of energy production, delivery and use, especially within the energy majors themselves. So far in this series, we've discussed existing and emerging technologies aiming to reduce carbon, and the word innovation keeps popping up as a key component. But innovation is such a nebulous concept. How do we move from research and development to adoption on scale? What will be the challenges? To discuss this in more detail, I'm joined now by Mohammed Abu Sharifa, head of Aramco's Lab 7 Innovation and Product Development Center, which offers technical and manufacturing support, as well as business development guidance to entrepreneurs with breakthrough ideas. Also with us is Joseph Michelli, organizational consultant and business psychologist. Joseph is a New York Times bestselling author. His most recent book is Stronger Through Adversity. World-class leaders share pandemic-tested lessons on thriving during the toughest challenges. I'm also pleased to welcome Pooja Goyal, Partner and Chief Investment Officer for Global Infrastructure at Carlisle. Pooja is also Carlisle's Head of Renewable and Sustainable Energy. Welcome to you all. Good to have you with us. Now, to start, I'd like to ask all of you for your thoughts on this big subject, innovation. It's often seen as a silver bullet for our climate emergency, but how far can it go? Mohammed Abu Sharifa? First of all, Nisha, let me express uh, my appreciation to be here among some of the brightest minds. And thank you for having me. And if I had to share a key learning from my journey in establishing Lab 7, it would be that uh, a several, uh, silver bullet does not exist. Uh, so uh, it is unrealistic to believe that one particular thing on its own, uh, innovation in this case, would solve such a complex issue like climate change. Uh, so in order to have the innovation element within the ecosystem effective, we need to have a collective action from all government industry, the developer of the technologies and the end consumer. Uh, the world needs to be united to develop a reliable energy transition plan and uh, innovation certainly plays an integral part in the process, but it cannot uh, solely uh, solve everything. Joseph Michelli. Now, I know you're not a climate expert, but you know an awful lot about innovation and how crisis engenders innovation. Absolutely. And I'm an optimist. I, I truly believe that human nature is one where we continue to solve the critical problems. Uh, this particular challenge is you know, a bit daunting. And I think a lot of people are kicking the can down the road in terms of really appreciating the crisis nature. You know, one of the beauties of the pandemic is if there were a beauty of the pandemic was that it was inescapable. The crisis was on us. It was surrounding us. It enveloped us in everything we did. There were no options. And so people were forced just for mere survival in the moment to innovate. The concern I have is that people don't have the same sense of urgency around this and the perception of it's out there somewhere and we have a lot of time. And in the meantime, let's maintain the status quo. That force is powerful. And it's probably one of the biggest challenges, I think, to, to making the turn where we get to a tipping point uh, on this issue. Very interesting, Joseph. I'm going to ask you more about that in the course of our podcast. 
Um, Pooja Goyal, you've worked in the renewable energy investment space for a long time, well over 15 years. What role has innovation played in actually driving new technologies and making them marketable? Yeah, you know, if you if you think about the journey of renewables and now today the energy transition, innovation is actually critical in order to find cost-effective and commercially viable solutions and transition our consumption and our economies away from carbon-intensive fossil fuels. So innovation is actually front and center in order to facilitate this energy transition. And remember the focus on the energy transition today is as much driven by climate change as it is driven by energy security. So we have to keep in mind, obviously the current macroeconomic environment with the backdrop of the geopolitical environment, and that is driving an increased focus on the energy transition as well, where countries are very focused on not only the carbon footprint, of um, how they consume energy, but they're also focused on onshoring or securing their energy supply in a much more viable manner. So that has become a big focus. And the truth is that, look, today there are several ideas or clean and green energy sources that are simply not commercially viable. And the one place where people can lose track of the practical limitations of investing in the energy transition is that ultimately the end product that you produce is a commodity. And that commodity has to be produced in an economically viable manner. So innovation is core to making that happen. That means innovation needs to come from investment in newer technologies that can be more efficient, have a lower carbon footprint. It also means innovation in manufacturing processes to drive down the costs of these technology. It can also mean innovation on financing structures with the capital markets to bring down the cost of capital for these technologies as well. So innovation has a very important role to play in the energy transition. Mohammed Abu Sharifa. In your position running Lab 7, you've often witnessed the move from theory to implementation. So what works and what doesn't? What have you learned about how innovations can be implemented at scale across a big company like Aramco? Uh, so Lab 7 is an innovation product development center uh, that has been built by Aramco to close a gap in the national innovation ecosystem. So uh, this very gap is all about how do we actually convert ideas into product uh, that is tangible solution that solve a need in the market? And within Lab 7, uh, we take the outcome of R&D and we design for the market. We take the input from the end customer to tailor our solution so they can be, uh, so we can accelerate the adoption. And we're developing in Lab 7, uh, solutions that are related to sustainability, uh, manufacturing, uh, digitalization, industrial and social innovation. And uh, for example, uh, under sustainability, we're developing solution that has a strong link with hydrogen storage, transportation, producing uh, solar energy from space and, transport and uh, transferring this energy to the uh, earth. And in addition to that, we're doing uh, product development in the area of uh, non-metallic uh, that would support the uh, replacement of metallic materials.
Ujagwil, we've seen just in the last few months, really bold and generous incentives provided by the US government by the Inflation Reduction Act to create a more favorable environment for investment in green technologies. What effects is it having? Has it already affected the investment space? I think the Inflation Reduction Act is incredibly valuable in terms of providing further clarity for companies that are planning their businesses around the greater penetration of, let's say, cleaner and greener sources. So whether it's renewable energy sources or other decarbonization initiatives. Having said that, it does take time to digest what is available within the Inflation Reduction Act and more importantly, see what kind of guidance comes out over the coming months in terms of how the policies are gonna be implemented from the Inflation Reduction Act. So passage of the bill is incredibly important. That is a meaningful first step forward. And now I would say the industry is waiting to see what guidance comes out in terms of how these policies and incentives will be allocated and how companies, businesses can qualify for these incentives. So I wouldn't want to sit here and today that this is an say that this is an absolute windfall. Um, you know, look, we're in a very complex environment right now with rising interest rates, supply chain constraints. And so having something like the Inflation Reduction Act is incredibly valuable. How valuable that will be will be entirely a function of what guidance comes out. And so we're in the process of digesting that right now. Now, I will say that there have to be tailwinds because we know that there are technologies that are available today that might not be commercially viable. And the Inflation Reduction Act builds a bridge by offering incentives to these technologies so that they can scale up to a point where they can be commercially viable. So we do think it's an important initiative, but the devil's always in the details. And we're waiting to digest that guidance that comes out on the back of it. Joseph Michelli, in your book, Stronger Through Adversity, you look at how rapid innovation was key during the pandemic. And as you said earlier, it was really accelerated by the sense of urgency. We had no option but to act. What are the lessons do you think that could be carried over in terms of dealing with an even bigger crisis, the climate crisis, which seems to be going more slowly in people's perceptions? Yeah, I, I think that the creation of a sense of urgency is incredibly important. And the constant conversation about why is this urgent and how is this affecting you? And if it doesn't affect you in the short term, how is it affecting those that you care about over the long term in your organizations and your families? This conversation has to be unrelenting because the urgency of the moment will drive whether or not management teams form coalitions, whether or not they create clear visions and then brainstorm strategies, whether or not they remove the barriers to action that are necessary for people to get in spaces of innovation, to not be punished for taking risks that have an, an opportunity to offset the longer term risk uh, to these organizations. And I think Pooja has spoken so eloquently about those long term risks and the kinds of things that need to be removed from a barrier perspective to make these things cost effective. Joseph Michelli, you've spoken a lot about the human at the heart of innovation. So what are your thoughts on how to get the whole organization on board when developing new products and new ways of working, change management, in other words? I think we really are calling out people's higher angels, right? We're saying to individuals that you come to this place every day to leave a lasting legacy of impact. 
And this is an opportunity for you to use your creative energy and collaboration with other people who have diverse talents than to, to supplement yours. And this is the opportunity to do something that is transformative in the now and into the future. And I think most people are called to that. Most of us wake up each day trying to make the world a better place. And organizations and leaders who constantly keep people focused on the magnitude of their future impact tend to get people who sustain these efforts as opposed to uh, forge initiatives that go by the wayside when other priorities emerge. Mohammed Abu Sharifa, I'd like to get your take too on change management. We've discussed a number of ambitious technologies as part of this series, including hydrogen, synthetic fuels, carbon capture, but they're still a long way from being cost-effective. How could a more innovative mindset be adopted in risk-averse industries like the energy sector? So uh, the gas and oil industry is a risk-averse industry. And basically the best way to adopt innovation uh, this sector is by creating a sandbox environment. Uh, the sandbox environment will allow the innovator and the end user to observe the possible risk that will result from this uh, technology. And it will allow us also to test it, uh, eliminate, uh, create mitigation methods for this technology to be successfully adopted. So uh, the short answer is basically experimentation prior to mass deployment. Some of the technology uh, are deployed in a specific application that, is, that does not create any risk uh, within the operation of the oil and gas company. And uh, so a specific innovation will vary. Uh, the risk of a specific innovation will vary from one application to another. And basically, we created an adoption plan where we start with the least risk application, and then we move uh, while the technology matures with the deployment plan. You have a long record of investing in sustainable, renewable energy infrastructure projects. Honestly, to what extent has different ways of working, more collaborative, more risk-friendly ways of working been the clincher in deciding whether technologies have been marketable and cost-effective? Yeah, I want to I want to go back to a comment that Joseph made right now, which is in terms of, you know, how we think about people retention, people development, and also recruiting people onto our platform, specifically as it relates to investing in the energy transition or in renewables. Look, you know, we approach everything from an infrastructure lens or a private equity lens. You know, we're patient, long-term capital. So you want to build a team where people are focused on achieving long-term goals. And those goals are not purely commercial outcomes. You know, members of our team, they actually want to make an impact. And so there has to be a greater vision that people see that they're contributing towards as they become members of these teams. And one way we've innovated on that front is that, look, if you look across our team right now, you know, not everyone comes from a financial investing background where they've already always worked in New York City or London or what have you and worked for a private equity firm or a bank. If you look at our team right now, we have people who come from industry 
who've actually been on the ground developing renewable energy projects themselves. And so that is where a little bit of innovation is required in terms of bringing those perspectives to the table, taking those diverse skill sets, bridging them with the parlance of capital markets or private, private equity speak, and finding ways to collaborate with entrepreneurs, developers, and management teams who are looking to build the next major energy company of the future. And so, you know, I think that people component is incredibly important. Figuring out what motivates people beyond short-term economic incentives, but really driving towards a long-term goal and vision, first of all, that leads to better organizations. And we also believe that leads to better investment decisions and ultimately facilitates the energy transition. Mohammed Abu Sharifa. What are some of the key changes in thinking that you see as necessary to facilitate a smooth energy transition? Are they mainly organizational, governmental, changes to the global system, perhaps a mix of all these and more? Okay, that's a great question. So at Lab 7, we apply the, the discipline of design thinking, where, uh, where, where we consider it a human-centric approach to innovation and problem solving. And this means that we ensure uh, prior to the incubation of, of any idea that this, the challenge is understood by the developers and it's well uh, articulated. And this pain of the end user is captured. And after that, we will not uh, be developing a product in silos, rather than we will engage with the end user early on um, and by doing that, we can address any concerns that they, uh, they, may, they may have. Uh, since developing products is an iterative process, we will continue to engage with the end user through the journey to capture their feedback, test, validate, and adjust. And in a specific example, we're developing a technology that is related to storing hydrogen in a solid form, and you know, as you know, the hydrogen storage is a very uh, risky technology that needs uh, a, a specific uh, safe mitigation process. Um, and this is uh, adopted or uh, imposed by the end client and, uh, and it will ensure the successful adoption from the end client by implementing his requirement. Uh, so it's... Uh, uh, as I mentioned before, it's an iterative uh, process between the developer and the end user. Finally, I'd like to ask you all to tell us what you see as the most promising innovations in technology or policy or elsewhere, finance, coming to fruition in the short to medium term to get us to, let's say, 2030. Uja You know, I see I'm very focused on innovation as it relates to transportation and the carbon footprint of our energy consumption associated with transportation. And there are two things that, um, that we're very focused on and we're excited about. One is uh, electric vehicles and charging infrastructure. You know, we think that there are some very interesting businesses and technologies that are out there. And I do believe the innovation here is not just a technology solution, but also some innovation on the right 
commercial arrangements and business models for these companies. But there are some interesting technologies that are out there where you can not only charge your electric vehicle, but actually can take energy from your electric vehicle and send it back onto the grid. And the direct example here is what Joseph was saying, which is that people don't feel that urgency or immediacy of impact as a result of climate change. And I will just tell you, with all the climate disasters like hurricanes and blackouts associated with hurricanes, you know, having the ability to use your electric vehicle potentially as a backup energy source, that is where you're motivating consumers to have an immediate impact um, on, on climate change and the energy transition. So we're very excited on innovation as it relates to technology and business models on charging infrastructure. And then for transportation fuels, look, it goes beyond passenger vehicles. You know, there's shipping, there's aircrafts. We do believe that there is a way to think about fuels such as green hydrogen and green ammonia in order to transition away from carbon intensive fuels. And those technologies do have a path to being more commercially viable, especially with some innovation on the public policy front. Joseph Michelli. Well, as someone who lives in Florida and feels the intensification of hurricanes in my part of the world, I think more people are becoming aware of the urgency of action. So that fuels a lot of ideas. I think some of it's incidental, though. The very fact that I did not have to get on a plane to do this podcast and we could do it remotely speaks to the opportunity to use technologies to decrease the need for transportation that we otherwise assumed was going to be present. Having worked for Mercedes-Benz, electric vehicles are the future, and really it's exciting to think that people are moving past range anxiety as consumers to see the benefits of this uh, to the environment uh, in a way that doesn't compromise the way they envision their lifestyle. Mohammed Abu Sharifa. And each one of the domains that Lab7 covers, be it sustainability, manufacturing, uh, digitalization, industrial, and social, each one has a specific behavior in terms of the growth and the acceleration of the new breakthrough technology that come, uh, comes out of each uh, domain. Uh, however, the decarbonization and the hydrogen introduction to the energy sector is one of the most exciting uh, activities that we see within the innovation ecosystem. Lots of activities are being uh, done uh, at the university scale or even large cooperation. And also uh, there are a lot of introduction on, uh, there is a lot of demand from the end user to have alternative sources of energy that supports the huge energy demand across the globe. Uh, if you look at the innovation space, each, uh, industry should consist out of three elements. That's the research and development. And then uh, the next step would be the product development, where we take the outcome of uh, research and development and convert it into usable product. And then the adoption by the industry itself. And uh, the value proposition that Lab7 introduces to the energy sector is related to the uh, development of new products that caters for the end user requirement. And in Lab7, we uh, focus on the customer need rather than proving the theory behind the technology itself. 
Muhammad Abu Sharifa, Joseph Michelli, and Buja Goyal, thanks so much for joining us today. Coming up, we head into our final episode of Powered by How, and I'll be joined again by Ahmed Al Khoueita, Aramco's Chief Technical Officer, to discuss how technology can shape our energy future. Specifically, when can we expect to see demonstrable results? This podcast has been brought to you by Reuters Plus in partnership with Aramco. I'm Nisha Pillay. Thanks so much for listening.